Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you uh, today. Please turn in your text to uh, Colossians, the fourth chapter. I have really enjoyed uh, this series. Got uh, one more message in this uh, book, and uh, then we'll obviously go into Palm Sunday message, then to the resurrection uh, message, and then I'll be choosing some things before we start into a new series. Okay, so uh, seasoned with salt. We're going to get to that text in, uh, right now in Colossians 4. Let me just read verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, it was a village town meeting, and the church wanted to go out and be well represented uh, because they wanted Bible education in the public school. Now, how that was going to work is that the local churches would raise the money and that a Bible class, a Bible teacher, would be there any child voluntarily. Their parent wanted them to take Bible in the public school, in uh, middle school and high school, then obviously they would be able to go to that class. One period would be allowed that they could go to Bible class. It was a great thing, but the board wasn't going to have anything to do with it at that time. And so we all poured out. One of the deacons spoke up. Now, we're on uh, Channel 7 News uh, out of a certain city, and uh, the deacon spoke up, which he had every right to speak up, but he blasted the board. He did not represent us in the spirit in which we wanted to be known as a Christian people. And so that's what I want to talk about today. How are we doing in how we speak to those around us? Uh, let me read verse 6 again. Let your speech always be gracious. Wow. <laughs> that's not always easy to do, is it? And it's not easy for me either. Do not speak to my wife after the service. <clears throat> it's not easy for any of us. Where did this idea of grace come from? I was raised in southeast Georgia. I love my home church. Uh, it was a new church plant back then, and we ran about 40 when I was saved. And then uh, ran about 60 when I left for Bible college. But nevertheless... We learned that Jesus was Lord. We learned about uh, obeying the scriptures. We learned that while he is Lord, he gets our obedience. And we learned these types of things. I love my preacher back then. And I love that man even today, this many years ago. But nevertheless, I, I don't recall hearing many messages about grace. I'm sure, I'm sure that he did preach on grace. I just don't remember them as a teenager. And our text today tells us to speak with grace. And I think this is an important message found in this book of Colossians. And I know, dear people, I know that you would remind me, yeah, but didn't Jesus cleanse the temple? And he went in there and grabbed that scourge of cords and he whipped uh, the animals out of the temple and uh, turned over the t money tables. Yes, he, he did do that. And I know that if you read back in the cleaner pages of your Bible to the Old Testament, 
that you find the Israelites going to war. I, I, I recognize that. And I know that God has said there is a judgment day coming at the end of time here on earth. Yeah, and I'm very aware of that one. And I remember that there is a text that says when a village or a town would not accept the gospel, that we are supposed to shake the dust off our feet and leave there and go to the next place and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm very aware of that one. And I am also aware, as you, uh, that Paul in the New Testament, uh, he let Bar-Jesus have it. Remember that in Acts 13, Elamus, the sorcerer, and Paul called him a son of the devil and, and said uh, that you are the enemy of all righteousness. Boy, he let him have it. Yeah, I know. I, I'm very familiar with these situations in the Scripture. And I'm also aware that we men are supposed to stand up and make a stand in the church and be the men of God. I know that. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, Act like men, be strong, watchful, be firm in the faith. See, while I know those things, and I know that you know those things, what I'm scared is we don't know much about speaking with grace. And if we do, do we practice it? And so I'm glad that this text showed up about right now in the Scriptures that each one of us, including me, could learn this. Lord, season my tongue with grace that I may learn how to speak in a graceful way. Now, a little background in this chapter, verse 3. God will open a door that we may speak. I like that. That's a good prayer for us that God would open a door for us that we may speak about this beautiful gospel. And gospel means good news. And so, verse 4, to speak clear the message, to present the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, in a beautiful, attractive way for people to come back home, to return to Jesus, to, to celebrate Jesus, to worship Jesus, to thrill over him, to praise him and love him to find Jesus your best friend again, to be baptized into him, to share him, to meet with him around the table that we just did, the Lord's Supper, to let him be the core of our lives. Let's get grace back into our speech again. Verse 6, our speech should always be with grace, seasoned with grace as with salt. Respond to each person. Let me read. Let's, let's go back. Colossians chapter 3. So turn, turn the page. And there in chapter 3 in verse 8, we find this instruction. 3.8 reads, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Wow. Wow. Jesus I think Jesus is expecting us to be like him, huh? And so be it. May we be like him. I want you to believe that there is a devil who wants to stop you from living like this. There is a devil who wants to stop me from living like this. God bless us all as we try. Number one today, there is a spirit of grace. King David is an example. <clears throat> King David and his men were marching when a man came out across the river and he's hollering at King David. He is shouting obscenities. He's cursing the king. 
He's throwing rocks as far as he can throw them, throwing dust up in the air. And so what does his soldiers say? They say exactly what we would say. The soldier said, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over now and cut his head off. Boy, that, that sounds like us, don't it? That sounds like us, but do you remember what David said? He said in 2 Samuel 16, verse 10, and if the Lord told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? Verse 11, let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord may have told him to curse. Wow, you know what I find in King David's answer? Because you and I, it resonates with us that... We, yeah, we're the soldier that's going to go over there and cut the guy's head off. <clears throat> but what King David has said is uncommon wisdom. It's, unco it's a com uncommon spirit of grace in his words. Now, you know what we would have done. We would have jumped the gun, wouldn't we? What's the old saying? Shoot first and... Oh, you're very familiar. That's how we've been raised up. What kind of words are, let him alone and let him curse him, for the Lord has told him? Well, they're grace words. It's, I would say it's a graceful understanding. Let that guy live, even though he said those things. And so we look at our options, and we realize it's not about revenge. No, it's not. We know that it's not about retaliation. And it's not about insult to injury. It's about grace. And what about the father of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel, chapter 15? Understand that the prodigal son story, the prodigal son is not the hero in the story. The hero is the father. You remember the son went to a foreign country and he spent all his uh, dad's money on, it said, riotous living in the King James Bible. He spent everything. He got down to feeding the pigs in that foreign country. Now, for a Jewish young man, he would not, he would religiously, he would not have done that job. But a famine came into the land. He spent his money. He, he sold his robe. He sold his jewelry. He sold his shoes. He's got it bad. And in Luke 15, verse 17, it says, he came to his senses. I like that. I like it when young men and young ladies, when older men and older ladies come to their senses and they come to Jesus. I love that. And so this is what the rebellious son does. Uh, when he came to his senses, he prayed. He said, uh, Father, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to say, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you and your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your what? Oh, you know the story. Make me one of your hired men. And so, what happens? He starts heading home. He gets down to the end of the long driveway, that dirt road back then, and the father sees him. And what did the father do? He took off running for his son. And he told them, put a robe on his back, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf. Why? For this son of mine was lost, and now he is found. We are going to celebrate 
the father in the story is the hero. And that father in the story represents our God in heaven. This is how the father treats us. What kind of words did that young man need to hear from his dad? He needed to hear graceful words. So what does the father do? When the prodigal son comes down that long dirt road and his legs and feet are dirty from walking the, the dusty trails, his father kicks his behind to the curb. Is that what happened? No. He lets him in, but you can only come home as a servant. You're no longer my son. Is that what he does? No. Okay, I'm going to let you have your old room back, but I'm going to remind you every day what you did against me. Is that what the father does? No. But bring the best robe and put it on him. What kind of words are those? They're grace words. They're grace words. Verse 17, the son admitted he was wrong, and therefore he should be allowed to come home. And then there's Jesus himself. I love a text. Would you take time to turn right now to Matthew chapter 12? Uh, in Matthew 12, <clears throat> I love this text. In fact, uh, it wasn't many years ago, and it became my favorite scripture. Matthew 12. Now, I'm going to, would you bear with me as I back it up? I want you to hear what happened that day. I, I'm going to get to my favorite verse, but, but let me set it up by reading more scripture to you. It, it starts in 17. In 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out loud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And here's my favorite verse. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he leads, he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Man, oh man, I love this. In verse 19 it says that he will not quarrel, he'll not cry out. You know, I remember a time when he cried out. You know what his words were? He was hanging on the cross, the first words out of his mouth. He said, Father, forgive them for they... Those are good words to holler out. Forgive them. Grace, grace words once again. I love that. Now what about the spirit in which we defend the faith? The spirit in which we defend the faith. I'm going to the Apostle Paul's life. What did he say about this in 2 Timothy 2.14? Solemnly charge them in the presence of God to not wrangle about words which leads to the ruin of the hearers. We don't use that word wrangle very much, do we? In fact, I think I better define it for you. We don't use it much in our culture. To wrangle means to dispute. It means to argue, but it also has the connotation with it, long and complicated arguing. And he says, don't act that way. Defend the faith? Absolutely. But do it in a spirit of grace. 
Don't do it with long, complicated, angry words because you ruin those that are listening to you. Mean, ugly, spiritedness does not win arguments. It ruins the hearers. Practice what we preach. In this letter, Paul encourages Timothy to be a good a soldier. He, he encourages him to be a good athlete. He encourages him to be a, a hard-working farmer. In this letter of 1 Timothy, he also tells him that a workman needs not to be ashamed accurately or rightly handling the word of truth. And see, I find that we've got those attributes down. I think that we know that God expects us to give him our best like a hard-working farmer that wants to see fruit from his labor. Are we trying to win arguments or are we trying to win a brother over? Are we trying to win arguments or are we trying to win a new sister to the Lord? Are we trying to win arguments or are we trying to win a new friend? Two preachers were arguing at an Exxon gas station. Man, oh man. When one preacher left the gas station, turned on his heel and walked out and got in his car and took off, the owner of the gas station had been backed into the corner. His jaw had dropped, and he was stuttering. And he said, oh, my dear, I never would have done that if I had only known how it was going to turn out. You see, what happened was one preacher had come in to buy some gas and pay for it, and he was talking to the guy. But the Exxon gas station dealer knew the next preacher was coming because he called and said, I'm going to swing by. And so the gas station owner knew that there was a doctrinal issue that the preachers disagreed on. And the gas station owner threw it out there. And the two preachers, well, they got to it. And it wasn't pretty. And that owner said, I wish I had never done that. We should learn to speak in graceful tones, graceful words, or we ruin our hearers. Uh, a survey was taken to non-Christians non about Christians, and 42% said, Christians get on my nerves. I can understand. A lot of Christians get on my nerves, too. <laughs> Second Timothy 2, please turn there. Second Timothy 2. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verses 23 through 26. 23 through 26. He's telling this young preacher, Timothy, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Oh, yes, you are to talk to people. Oh, yes, I am to talk to people. Correct bad doctrine. But we must do it in a spirit of love. We must live this way. It's commanded that we live this way. <clears throat> are we really, when you, get, when you find yourself in an argument, are you really defending the faith or are we really 
I think that there are some people that their personality lends itself to arguing with people. It doesn't have anything to do with defending the faith. They're just argumentative kind of people. They're what I call chest thumpers. You know who those guys are? It could be, it could be ladies. They're, they're guys that love to get in your face, and they're doing like this. Now, they might not actually be touching you, but they might be. But they're in your face, and they're giving you what for, and they're doing like that as if they're thumping your chest. By the way, if you're that guy, you need to stop that. You're going to get a knuckle sandwich one day. And you're going to go to church and say, man, I took a knuckle sandwich for Jesus. No, you didn't. You're an argumentative person, and you're an ugly talker. And you got a punch in the face because you aren't very nice. Do we understand the difference? This is what the message is about. In, second, in 1 Timothy 3.3, about an elder, it says, he must be gentle and peaceable. Wow. Let the Holy Spirit guide. And so we find here in, Timothy, uh, in Paul's letter to Timothy uh, that we are not to be sarcastic and bitter and in their face. He doesn't want us to live this way. My mistakes and your mistakes are not, they might not be about what we said. It might be the spirit. You understand the difference? It might be the spirit in which the truth was said. And therefore, that got us into trouble. I know that I have a long history of having to get my foot out of my mouth. And do you know why I've got to get my foot out of my mouth? Because I put my foot in my mouth. And maybe you do the same thing. If Jesus did not quarrel, Paul commanded Timothy to not be quarrelsome. Is there a message here for us? Did we miss something? Is it better to teach the truth in love than to preach hate in an argument? Belligerent. That's another word we don't use much anymore. Let me define belligerent. Belligerent is inclined to hostility. Yeah, he was belligerent. I saw him thumping the guy's chest. That's wrong. Don't live like that. <clears throat> it's an aggressive attitude. It's waging war. A student in speech class at Johnson University, Tennessee, a student spoke in speech class as they were being trained to be public speakers. He, he spoke on grace. He spoke on grace. And his buddy, his best friend after class said, man, you had an excellent message. You had great content, but you preached it in hate. How can you preach grace in hate? <clears throat> but that's what he said. And back to our text again of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. A preacher's own son asked him, did you, did you ever preach on grace when I was a kid? The preacher said, yeah, sure I did. And the young man said, I don't ever remember it. I think we ought to speak and talk about grace. The different depths of it, the different ramifications of grace, that we might be a graceful people. Yeah. Someone told me one time, they said, 
You hide behind grace too much. And I told him, I don't have anywhere else to hide. If we can't hide in God's grace, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? And so secondly today, we're going to look at the blessings in our speech. You know, in our culture, we, we don't give blessings out very well. I don't think we've ever, ever been encouraged to do it. But a blessing. Uh, achoo! God bless you is about the only one we know. And sometimes we even leave God out of it. We just say, bless you. <clears throat> but what about blessing family members? What about blessing good friends? What about blessing church members and neighbors and acquaintances, people you meet? What is a blessing? It's to wish them well. It's to wish them well. A blessing of our children. They're getting ready to leave home. They might be going to uh, the, uh, the armed services. They might be going to university. They might be going to seek employment in another city. And you have a dinner, and you invite their best friends, and you invite relatives, and you give a verbal blessing at that table to that young lady or that young man. And you wish them well and bless them, and you speak into their heart by speaking into their ear. We don't speak blessings in our culture very well, but there are wedding blessings. Someone gets married, there's a reception. The wedding reception is to give blessings from the parents to speak into that young couple's mind, their heart, their ears. Speak a, a well wish. Have you heard the Irish blessing? Now, that's a redundant question. I know you've heard of the Irish blessing, the, the one that says, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. I like that. I like that so much that Deb and I have got a plaque with that on there. But then there's the Gaelic blessing. The Gaelic blessing. The Gaelic blessing says, uh, may those who love us, love us. And if they don't love us, May God turn their heart. And if God doesn't turn their heart, may he turn their ankle so we can recognize them by their limp. <laughs> and so that's the Gaelic blessing. You won't remember anything else I've said this morning, but the Gaelic blessing. And then my favorite really actually comes from the Holy Scriptures. It is in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, where it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Man, does that sum it up? That sums it up. And so I love, I get a kick out, and I still do it to this day. I've been doing it for years. I love to tell people, have a blessed day. You ought to see the smile that comes on their face because instead of a good day, you, if they say good day and you say blessed day, you sort of trump them and they're going to stutter out a blessing for you. So you beat them to the punch, and you offer a blessing. You say, have a blessed day, and they will smile back at you. I love it. Try it. And then we need to change our worldly speech uh, to a spiritual speech. Um, even if you're not that kind of person, learn, practice this. There's another blessing in the Old Testament scriptures in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Man, that's a good blessing, isn't it? The Word of God, Old and New Testament, has blessings in it, and I think we ought to learn them and use them. And so, what are the themes of these blessings? You're wishing them well. It's grace. It's grace. What can we say? We need to speak grace. Pride will stop us. Grace prompts us. Legalism stops me. Grace allows me. To, to the legalist, they feel that grace makes people careless. And to those who are living and prompted by grace, uh, they know that grace makes us confident. It sustains us. And so we need to use grace words in our speech. Like you may say in talking to someone about a relationship with Jesus, you may choose to say, you know, I wish you would try talking to God about this. I know that uh, it can feel strange at first, but he listens and he answers prayer. What are you doing? You're offering grace words to them, encouraging them. Another one, I, I wish you would come and get some coffee with me and a friend. My friend uh, went through the same situation that you're going through, and I believe that uh, he would have some, uh, some wisdom for you. What are you trying to do? You're speaking hope and grace into their life. Or maybe the one that says, I wish you would come to a small group at my friend's house. Uh, it's just regular people like me and you trying to make sense out of life as we go to the scriptures for answers. As the illustration about grace, what is some, please, it's only an illustration. I, I, I would not wish this on an enemy. I don't know if I have any enemies, but let me know later. If someone brutally murdered your son and you sought to kill them, that would be revenge. If you allow the court of the land to take them and try them, that would be justice if it goes the right way in court. But what, what if when they get out of prison, you develop a relationship with them, forgive them, adopt them as your son. That would be grace. Because that's exactly what God did to you and me. Our sins put Jesus on the cross, and he forgave us our sins at the shedding of Jesus, his only son's blood. And then... God adopted us as his children. So God went first to show us how, what we should do. Grace can cause us to do and to say unexpected things. How many times have you gone into a situation for truth, for, for kingdom, for church, for Jesus, and instead of practicing uh, seasoning your speech with grace, you more or less came out with a, a Tommy gun, a machine gun, and, and you're just, you're, you, you think you're shooting at the enemy, but because we're going against the teachings of the Christ, we're shooting at the cross. We need to be very careful that we do not ruin our listeners, our hearers. Hebrews 13, 9 says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. I love that. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. There's all kinds of grace. 
There's universal grace, universal, that his reign falls on the just and the unjust. God's reign falls on Christian and non-Christian alike. There's universal grace. There's also saving grace, and that's Jesus on the cross dying for sinners like me and you. There's sustaining grace when you just can't make it. You're not doing well emotionally and mentally. Your heart is sad, and it's sinking quicker and quicker, and you need sustaining grace. And then there's benevolent grace. You've messed up. You are behind in your bills. You messed up. And you need benevolent grace. You need something physically to sustain and heal you. There's all types of grace. Many times we stick our foot in our mouth, and it's not what we said, it's how we said it. So all I'm asking us to do this morning, getting ready to close, all I'm asking for us to do this morning is to think about this, meditate on it, think on it, look for ways to apply it into your life, live this way. Live this way. Another way to word this is learn, walk this way, enter into the experience. You need to practice this because we're not used to it. Maybe you are, but the most of us, the majority, are not used to this. And so we have to experience this over and over, and we're going to mess up making our attempts to bless people and to forgive people, but, but we'll get it down if we try. And so what about you? How are you going to tip the waitress in the restaurant? Are you still throwing out a buck? You know, you were doing that in the 70s. You know the, the cost of living's gone up since then. And, and we maybe grace can show up in the tip we lay down. How about to help a hurting family? How about to witness for Jesus? How about to buy a Christmas for a family that you know is not going to have a Christmas? How can grace show up in Christians' lives? We're God's people. And the people in the world know that we're supposed to love one another. Paul wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Chapter 6, verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments. Ephesians 4, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. We are to be innocent. And whether we're dealing with our friends or our family or church members or prospects for Christ, season your tongue with salt. You're getting ready to have an issue. You might be a manager in a store. You might be a, a manager at, at, a, at a plant and you're getting ready to have a conversation with an employee that's not acting right on the job, and uh, you've you got to get tough. The company expects you to lay down the law, but can you do it with respect? Can you do it with a spirit of gentleness? So the short of it is this. The short of it is 
Have a little talk with Jesus. Have a come to Jesus meeting. Pray for help. Apologize for the act. Repent. If you've got something that's controlling your life and repentance has not done the trick for you, you might need to pray and fast. You might need to pray and fast for 24 hours at begging God to break this off of your spirit, off your heart. Look to Jesus. And may we be quick to forgive. My last text is Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Luke 4, 16 through 22. All right, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He is announcing it right now. All right, 16 through 22. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, oh, I wish the church would learn those words, as was Jesus' custom, he went to synagogue every Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. They didn't have chapter and verse divisions back then. That didn't come until 1551 A.D. So he unrolled the scroll and he had to find what he wanted to read. Here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here's what I wanted you to know this morning. Verse 22 says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That's how he was known in the streets. That's how he was known when he went to synagogue, which would be the equivalent for Christians, going to church, going to congregations. And that everyone was astonished at the graceful words of his speech. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, some messages are very tough for me to preach because I have not been so gracious. But I'm so grateful, dear God, for the men and women that you've placed in my life that have taught me about grace. And may I be able to give that type of grace out to others. Lord God, I pray that a man or woman, boy or girl, would not leave here today without having a powwow with you and without saying, I need grace in my speech. So I ask blessings, dear God, today upon us. But I pray right now a prayer for people to give their life to Jesus, that they would come and experience this grace firsthand. Firsthand. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.